Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live, the flagship podcast for the SB Nation Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, where you can find the uh, starting five podcasts, next-gen podcasts, core four podcasts, and Grizzly Bear Bets. That's wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is the official SB Nation blog covering the Memphis Grizzlies. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com dot com or on twitter at sbn grizzlies i'm your host uh parker fleming and we are recording this live on tuesday afternoon on the heels of the grizzlies 10th straight win getting the martin luther king day win over the phoenix suns and with me i have an nba reporter for espn his name is dave mcminiman dave how's it going this afternoon it's going great parker uh glad to join you and uh Glad to to break down one of the, I guess they're not surprising at this point, not surprising stories, but certainly the most exciting stories in the NBA this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I can kind of see where, you know, people think it's a little bit surprising because, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., he started the year off hurt. And then when jo- uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. came back, then Desmond Payne hit the injury report for over a month. And then now they're finally getting to play together. And the results have been great. I mean, right now, the Memphis Grizzlies are 28-9 and nine whenever two of Morant, Jackson, or Bain play. Good for a 62-win pace. And they're also 7-2 and two when all three of them suit, suit up and play together. And they have a blistering net rating of roughly 18-19 points per 100 possession. So it's been fun. And, you know, speaking of the, the excitement when it, when it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies, you can't talk about excitement about the Memphis Grizzlies or maybe even the entire NBA without talking about John Morant. And last week he had two poster dunks. He got Jakob Pertl once again. You would have thought he would have learned by now, Dave, that you, you don't jump with John Morant after what he did last year. <laughs> and, then, and then poor Jalen Smith, man. He also was on the receiving end of a John Morant poster dunk. Where do you rank those two in his highlight package thus far? I have to go with the Jalen Smith one as the best dunk of his career thus far, just because we've seen guys dunk on guys 
I've never seen a guy cock the ball back that far. He was basically doing like a cow cat yoga pose midair, touches the ball almost to the back of his heels. His body didn't know what to do when he landed. It was, his body was like, I think, responding in shock to what just happened. Uh, just tremendous uh, showmanship. You know, one of my colleagues, Stephen A. Smith, likes to call Jumper and box office. And I think it's perfect way to describe him because he's a worth the price of admission type of guy. He's a true max player in the sense where if, if you have him on your team and you are paying him that salary slot, you are also having him to be one of the faces of your entire city. Mm-hmm. I would say the entire state of Tennessee. Uh, you're selling the jerseys. You are having the civic pride. And you're putting butts in the seats because you just can't miss him. Uh, and he's someone, despite his slight frame, and certainly he's gone through some injuries so far, he has that duty or responsibility factor to his persona where it, he wants to get out there. Uh, he wants to turn a two-week injury into a one-week injury. He wants to turn a one-week injury into a one-game injury. Right. And that's – Super valuable, not just for the Memphis Grizzlies franchise, but for the league at large, because we are in a transitionary stage, not necessarily this year, but over the next five years, odds are we're not seeing LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry as the three most popular, relevant players in the league anymore. And uh, it's a perfect time to have someone like John Morant getting his game ready to go, getting his entire kind of I don't know, uh, aura ready to go, uh, to, to take that mantle. Yeah. And I, and it's one of those things I will say about the dunk. Thank God for Steven Adams, because we saved ourselves tons of segments around John Morant's landing and how he's primed to be the next Derrick Rose in in the good and bad ways. Because I know John Morant's landing has always been kind of a, a critical point when it comes to his, his airness of sorts, but no, he's, I mean, he's definitely provided a jolt to this franchise that the city hasn't even seen before. I mean, the Grizz, I mean, the city of Memphis hasn't had a star like this since Penny Hardaway was in college. When it comes to like the actual like longevity of things, because you know Derrick Rose was here for a year, but you know Penny was a Memphis kid, and then he went on to Orlando, was awesome. But you know, now you have the jerseys. You have like I had somebody stop me on uh my honeymoon because I was wearing a Grizzly shirt and he goes, you know, and he's like, I love watching John Moran play. He's gonna win MVP one year. And like he has this global impact that we haven't seen before. And then also too, the the brilliant marketing ploy in post game after that brutal dunk on Jalen Smith. And he said it has to be the shoes because you know he's been playing <laughs> in all one. So he gets it. He gets it, and it's so fun to see him do that. Yeah, and honestly, like, it's the overall style to him as well. It's not like you see many folks in the league with that same hairstyle uh, or even if they have that hair set, same hairstyle. There's not the couple braids with color uh, to it. And so he has a unique all his own with the attitude line shaded into his eyebrows. And he has a game that, again, it, it's just so fun because we – you know, there is something about being a methodical player. There's something to be said about uh, protecting your body over the course of an 82-game season and, and a two-month playoff run. 
but you know, there's a term that Greg Popovich used to use to describe Manu Ginobili that always comes to mind when I watch John Morant play. He's just hell-bent for leather. Like, he can't help himself but to go full throttle at all times. And uh, for a fan, like, what more can you ask for? Especially for a guy, again, if you're at an NBA game, fortunate enough to have lower bowl seats, you get a sense for how big these guys are. Right. And you can see the size disparity in a John Morant versus some of the guys he's going up against, which, you know, makes it all the more admirable, admirable that, you know, that's not something that even enters into his mind as a potential obstacle or something he can't uh, overcome. I mean, he, he has his own way to approach the game and more often than not, he's the best player on the court. Right. And also too, I guess one of the cool things about John Morant is, and we'll get into this too, is that I feel like the entire team takes on his swagger, you know, like last night, I mean, for, I mean, for one, just to bring up John Moran again, he had this little and one where he hits the deck and then like the camera catches him, like doing this little dance singing, he can't guard me. Like you have just like little stuff like that. I guess Rob, but also too, you have like Brandon Clark throwing down a poster dunk on Dario Sarge. The bench is celebrating. They're all doing having the same lingo for post games. And a lot of that is carried. I mean, they obviously have all these like like-minded individuals on the team, but they also ride the swagger of guys like John Morant and Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks. And it's really kind of made for a captivating all around experience. Cause you know, you see all these, you see it here and there, especially with young teams where like you have that talented young player that you get with the high draft pick but it takes a little while to put things together because you're trying to build the right team around it when it comes to both the, the personality fits and the skill set fits. The Grizzlies picked up on that right away, and it's made them a formidable threat in the Western Conference. It certainly has, and I think it's an interesting part of the equation uh, now that Zach Kleiman has done a wonderful job as a GM. Zach, by the way, I covered the Lakers for a stint from 2008 to 2014. Then I covered the Cavs and now I'm back covering the Lakers for the last five seasons. Back my first stint covering the Lakers, Zach was a PR night intern <laughs> for the Los Angeles Lakers. And now he's running one of the most uh, promising teams in all of professional sports. Uh, but, but Zach, has this question on his hands now of where Ja is right now and, and where the culture of the team is right now. What do you do? Do you right. be patient and allow them all to grow? Do you recognize that this league is pretty fickle and sometimes windows can close a lot faster than you expect them to? So go all in, but going all in, even if you add talent, maybe then you add a veteran with different personality and that changes kind of the leadership dynamic. Uh, it, it makes the Grizzlies fascinating off the court as much as they are on the court. Right. And where do you see them in this wide open Western conference? I mean, I'm looking at this right now and I did this exercise today uh, for the blog where, you know, I rank the Grizzlies big three, or I basically say the Grizzlies have a championship level big three, but I also had to use other title contending big threes. And, you know, I'm looking at, you know, the Grizzlies, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Warriors, and then I have kind of asterisks as far as who can win the West with, you know, Dallas. I mean, they don't have a whole lot around Luka. And then the Clippers, it's all around the health. And then 
The Lakers are just sneaky because, you know, they're only two and a half games out of sixth place, and then they're getting Anthony Davis back, and they always had the threat of making the moves, whether it's with Russ or with Beverly or with Nunn. So given all that and everything just seems wide open, where do you think the Grizzlies stand among all that? Yeah, I mean, you laid it out pretty perfectly. I don't think there's a team that you failed to mention that I would include kind of as the larger grouping of contenders. I guess theoretically Phoenix, just because you have to show some deference to them, what they were able to accomplish the last two seasons where they were healthy and they, they just haven't been healthy at all. And potentially they trade Jay Crowder and they get another piece in there and they can make a second half run. And again, because the West is so crowded, yeah, they look to be, you know, struggling right now, losers of nine out of 10, but they have two good weeks in a row and then they could be back to the top the two or three seeds. So um, I, I guess I would include them, but I, I see Memphis as a team that controls their destiny in the Western Conference. It, it's not like there's a team out there like the Warriors of the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant years, whatever. And again, I guess Warriors will we'll mention too, just because they're the champs, but there's not a team out there that, that's unbeatable. There's not right. a team out there that, that has so much more experience than they do. You know, they're not an inexperienced team, but – I'm not looking at any of the, the, the true contenders that we, we believe, you know, let's say the short list is Denver, New Orleans, and Memphis. I mean, I, I think most folks I speak to around the league, that's their grouping of the best talent coaching and upside uh, and, and proof in the moment. I mean, it's not like you're saying that Denver has so much more experience than the Grizzlies do, considering they have new pieces that they're relying on in this mix, and certainly not New Orleans, uh, who are you know, barely 100 games into the Zion William scenario with games that he's actually on the court. So I, uh, I see them as, as a true contender. And then once you get there, like say they can get their way through the Western Conference, I think the team coming out of the East is going to have a tougher time because I, I think the top-heavy talent in the East is better than the top-heavy talent in the West, maybe maybe steal a championship. Like, it's not crazy to say that. It, it, the league is as wide open as it's been, I would honestly say, since the time I covered it. I started covering the NBA in 2005, 2006. And uh, I'm hard-pressed to think of a season like this one where I, I think there's legitimately 10 teams you could point to and say they could be holding the Larry O'Brien trophy in June. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. And honestly, like for a lot of people who aren't really into the NBA, this is the time to get into it because you don't have the absolute juggernaut that's like the runaway favorite. You have this blend of, you know, your aging stars still being awesome. You have these young guys that are ready for the mantle. And then you also still have this like, group of prime guys still killing it as well and i mean i i think what you said is i think where you had the grizzlies is spot on and like you know i was talking to my old side manager joe moanax last night kind of trying to talk to this piece i'm like i don't want to sound clickbaity or homers but like i want to write on you know how they have a championship level big three and i think you win a championship and he goes it's realistic now like this isn't homers or anything like it's it's legit and i do want to ask you just the other two players in that big three, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, do you see those two guys as 
players that are viable second and third options for championship contention in the landscape of the NBA right now. And if you look at them through the most rose-colored glasses, you point to the fact that Jaron Jackson is a game-changer defensively who can stretch the floor offensively, who doesn't get rattled when he's out there on, on the court. And you say that Desmond Bain is a true two-way player who can clamp you out on the defensive end and can really stretch the floor and came into the league as a, a catch-and-shoot guy, but now has added dimensions to his game where I think this season he has more threes attempts does catch and shoot, just showing the growth of his game. I think the flip side, you would say, and I know you can apply this to so many teams, but flip side, you would say that they haven't been able to stay on the court all that much. Uh, and, and that, you know, I don't believe in players being injury prone. I, I think there's not like, for instance, I've been covering Anthony Davis the last several years and he has uh, a reputation for that. But I don't think anybody in this league that experienced what he experienced last year. You have Jaden McDaniels thrown into your knee and then you land on Rudy Gobert's size 22 sneaker after going up to catch a, a bad lob pass and, and your foot, uh, you know, turns on it. Like, you're getting injured. I don't care who you are uh, from those those instances. And so I don't want to cast dispersions on Desmond and Jaron to suggest, like, they can't stay healthy. But you know, that's a concern there. And I, I, I would like to see, you know, I, I, certainly uh, Jaron, he's so dependent on, on the other players uh, to get him going. Um, and a lot of big men are like that in this league, but you know, I think there's some diversification to his offensive game that, that can come. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like holes to the game, I think defensive minded players, it's easier to add an offensive game to their repertoire than the reverse uh, because it's such a mindset. So if you already have the mindset, that is who you are as a person, who you are as a player fundamentally. And that means you will be able to play the style of basketball that wins in the playoffs. Right. And now, 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 you, now that said that there is still some maturation. I think both players need to go to offensively, but I, I would take them, um, I don't know if I take you. You're putting them the number one big three in the Western Conference. Number one big three in the Western Conference. It's it's tough, you know. Uh, I used uh, I used Andrew Bailey's catch-all average rankings, and I put together where the Grizzlies have the best by the rankings. But also, too, like that's not including the fact that the Denver Nuggets also have Aaron Gordon, who's been a top thirty to thirty-five player this year. Jordan Poole, who's averaging 27 points per game. I mean, I didn't include him in there because he actually tanked their average for their uh, big three rankings. I mean, there's – and there's just so many different caveats with that. I mean, also, too, like the Pelicans, they have three 20-point-per-game scores in Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and TJ McCollum. And they could literally just be finding out the right spacing and defense combinations because, I mean, they're putting them – they're putting Zion – who's not a shooting threat really next to Jonas Valanciunas who kind of masquerades as one and Herb Jones, who's not one at all. So it, I feel like the Grizzlies, you can make the argument. And I think a lot of it also goes with the fit too. You know, you have next to Ja, who 
is really kind of balancing. He he's really balanced his act of his elite playmaking, his elite scoring, at the same time. And I feel like it's ever since Charles Barkley's comments of John not making his teammates better, and then you have Desmond Bain with his shooting, his growth, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. with his defense. I mean, he's he is. You can make an argument he's the most valuable defensive player in the NBA, given that he literally took a team from a middling one to the best one in a span of like a month. So, I mean, that's kind of where I see it, but I mean, there's there, like, it's one of those things Like you can look at it with like what you said, rose colored glasses, and you can look at all these positives, every, every other big three and also the negatives. I, I think one, you brought up Jaren's offense. There's a lot of good, but there's also different, other sides to it, you know, like Jaron Jackson Jr., career high 51.8% from the field, but he's also shooting the lowest field goal attempt since his rookie season at 11.3. He's shooting 37% from three, which is his highest since he's returned from his knee injury, but it's his lowest field goal attempt mark. I mean, in his sophomore season, he was shooting 39% on six and a half threes a game. So different stuff to work out, but I mean, when it comes to the fit and I guess how all three guys are elite in different departments, I like their chances at least. I don't know how you see it though. No, I mean, listen, I, I like them a lot. Uh, I think, you know, again, do I think the Warriors, or the Suns going to win the championship this year? Probably not, but I will. We have to mention that Steph Curry, oh, no. Clay Thompson, and Draymond has, they have four rings. And we have to mention that the Suns with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and John Drayton got to the finals and, we're two wins away from an NBA championship. Uh, so you know, I, I think there are other groupings that you put out there. Uh, but as you mentioned, it, it is a promising group and they put pressure on you on both ends. And mm-hmm. then that to me is why, you know, maybe you do give them the edge uh, because, you know, Ja is slight, of course, but, but Ja is going to be playing the passing lanes. Ja is going to be going over screens, uh, having that requisite energy to do so. Ja's going to be, um, you know, taking charges, um, affecting the game defensively. And obviously those other two can really just lock you down with their size and their strength. And so they're promising. Um, you know, I, I think that those probably wouldn't be the positions that I would look to upgrade um, if I'm the Grizzlies. But I think there is probably some room to upgrade. And that, that leads into my next question. As they're on this path, to the NBA Finals. You know, they want to be one of those teams hoisting the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Is that path through just continuing to rely on the internal development and those different performances, whether it's the big three or young guys off the bench like Zaire Williams or Zanti Aldama or or even the return of Danny Green? Or is there an ex or do they need to make an external move to really solidify themselves in that? You know, you, like you can't have a star at every position because more often than not stars aren't used to being role players and uh, to be a role player takes a lot of sacrifice and, and you have to do things to supplement the stars game. So that's why things get tricky, right? Like if you have grown with this group and your quote unquote lesser players uh, appear to be weak in terms of their statistical output, but at the same time, their attitude and their fit and their understanding of what that team needs to win and what their star players need to feel comfortable to perform, 
you know, sometimes you don't want to mess with that alchemy. And so I, I could see why the Grizzlies would stand pat, even though, you know, we know that they have all the draft picks coming up. They have the Golden State Warriors draft pick next year, which could be a pretty good one, uh, which could lead to getting something uh, pretty good on the market. You could pair it with Danny Green's $10 million expiring contract. And now you're talking. Uh, but th- again, that's why I was touching on it before was that climbing. Like this is, it's fascinating to see how he plays it because didn't we think a decade ago that Sam Presti had all the time in the world with that group and they get one NBA finals appearance out of it, one NBA finals win out of it. And that's it. The guys go on to win, uh, you know, Durant wins elsewhere, Harden wins MVP elsewhere. We all know how that, that story goes in OKC. And so I, I don't know if there's a right answer. I, I am more of the, live in the moment though uh then spend too much time overthinking all the possibilities of what could occur and i'll you know and and sometimes i'll be wrong right i i I thought the timberwolves going for rudy gobert in the offseason was like yeah i love it an executive fresh on on the chair running things and he's going to go after this defensive player of the year and you know, yeah, the NBA is going smaller and more switchable, but but he's going for it. I like it, you know. Uh, I, right now, I don't think it looks all that great, right? And there's a cautionary tale for Zach Lyman to observe. Uh, but this league can change in an instant. And, you, I mean, listen, of course, I'm not bringing this up in any sort of terms of jinx type of way. It's just knowing the league history. You mentioned Derrick Rose, right? Mm-hmm. You know, things happen to, to can't miss – commodities in this league um, and you never wish it upon anyone but there is some evidence that would support just going for broke right and you know there's there's so many different tales with that you know i mean i mean i'm thinking modernly here too like you know you bring up okc you bring up the cautionary tale of minnesota but like also had a team like the Boston Celtics who had this very fascinating blend of having max contract guys and Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford with all their rookie skill guys, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart. They had they had this wonderful blend. And, you know, that's kind of where Danny Ainge developed his almost age, where like they could have gone for it, but they didn't. But I mean, obviously, because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are so good, they pivoted very quickly and figured it out. But like you said, there's – and also, too, I think Utah is a, a cautionary tale there, too. I mean, they probably thought that when Gordon Hayward left, like, oh, we got Donovan Mitchell. This guy's going to lead us for the next decade. And he's gone four or five years later. Like, so much changes. So much changes for sure. And um, I guess like one of the last questions I want to ask you here, too, is, you know, and you cover you covered this guy in, uh, with, with the Lakers, Danny Green. You know, your your colleague, Brian Winhorse, did, did Danny. Uh, re- it was really hilarious because, you know, like I, I was off the grid, you know, and I was uh, off for my honeymoon. I just like checked the group message, you know, just seeing what was up. And uh, someone sends the link of Brian Winhorse right in front of Danny Green saying that he was a trade asset uh, for the Grizzlies to bolster their roster. I thought it was really funny. But uh, what kind of value do you see Danny Green providing both on the floor as he's now getting back into five on five, but also in the trade market to bolster the Grizzlies depth in hopes to kind of make them the clear favorites out West. Well, I mean, let me make it clear. 
in my preamble. I respect the hell out of Danny Green's uh, professionalism, what he's accomplished at the highest level in the NBA. 2014 finals, he was dynamite. 2020 uh, championship run for the Lakers. He was a, really a key piece. And some people think about the shot that he missed in game five against the Heat, but that did not tell the story of, of what he was for that team. Uh, but I, you know, I covered him a couple of years ago when the Lakers weren't in the playoffs. I went back East and covered the Sixers playoff run and, you know, he got hurt. And he couldn't be on the court and he really hasn't been on the court all that much since. And to me, it's kind of a win-win. If you can't find a trade partner, that's fine because Danny Green, even if he's not playing any minutes, is going to be a net positive on your organization. Mm-hmm. His intelligence, his uh, you know human to human connection ability, uh, you know him him being able to be a resource for Taylor Jenkins, right? Like Danny's been in the league longer than Taylor Jenkins has, right? So that's having someone like that who's seen pretty much everything the NBA has to offer, that's going to help you. But if you want to maybe upgrade, you know, at the three, four position, right. And you think that, you know, Brandon Clark doesn't hit threes enough for our liking, you know, Aldama's not seasoned enough for our liking. You can pair him with one of those picks we were talking about. And then maybe you get into the conversation for someone like OG Ananobi or, Bogdanovich or Kyle Kuzma, right? And then you fit a team need there, theoretically, um, you know, something that you don't necessarily have. And, and, and let's go for it without really going, without, you know, without trading for, you know, a quote-unquote superstar. Um, you know, that makes that $10 million expiring contract really valuable. And you know, I love the moment you mentioned with Windhorse. I texted him right after it happened. And I can tell you this much, Danny loved it too. Uh, Danny has been doing television for TNT for years now. He has a podcast that that's very interesting hearing kind of his player side of things while learning the media business. And, uh, I I guarantee your listeners, Danny took no offense to that. Um, he's, he was all for being real and making good TV. So, um, I think no matter what they do, the Grizzlies can't go wrong. And, And honestly for Danny, I, I could see him, you know, as he nears the end of his ride to want to be a part of, of a, you know, a major winning organization. But if he was traded somewhere, I'm sure he would make, uh, make the best of that as well. Yeah. And I felt like there was a message that was kind of indirectly sent uh, over the off season, you know, when they traded away Anthony Melton for Danny Green in that first round pick to get David Roddy. And then also I remember there were reports over the Grizzlies having interest in Joe Ingles, even though he was hurt. They wanted to bring in a veteran presence. And I mean, when it comes to Danny Green, I mean, hard you're hard pressed to find a better veteran when it comes to, you know, this guy's won three different championships on three different teams. And they wanted to be able to do that without necessarily taking playing time away from their young guys and kind of sticking to their status quo in that regard, but just having another, just a grown-up in the locker room. I kind of see it in a similar way as to, I like, on the court, I see it as a similar way as, like, Andre Gudala right now and mm-hmm. his role. All he has to do is just move the basketball, play good defense, hit outside shots, and he maybe has to do that for 10 minutes a night in the playoffs. And it's just somebody who's been there before, you know, they have a lot of guys at the back end of the rotation who haven't had a lot of play, any 
playoff experience. Actually, if you combine Conchar, Altama, David Roddy, they don't have a lot of playoff experience. So just inserting somebody with Danny Green's wealth experience, it could be kind of valuable to kind of calm things down a little bit, you know, because they're they're young, they play fast. Things have got to get crazy real quick. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way. I mean, the comp on Niggy is spot on because the Warriors, they don't require him to play 30 minutes. <laughs> he may not play 30 minutes combined for the rest of the regular season, but there's going to be moments as they prep for a playoff team as they go through a walk through and he speaks up and points out something on the whiteboard that guys should pay attention to uh, one rotation where he gives you five minutes of smart play uh, that can help you win a playoff game like that, that he's in that category. And and so listen, Danny Melton's wonderful. Uh, he's mm-hmm. been a great pickup for the, the Sixers. And um, you know, I think, LeBron James even mentioned earlier in the year when the, the Lakers lost in Philadelphia, um, he kind of marveled that, wow, like that guy was available. Uh, um, but I don't think that's something that, that should be, uh, ju- you shouldn't be judging the, the Grizzlies for that move because it, it was a bigger picture thinking move. It gives them optionality, as we mentioned, to maybe go out and get that extra firepower for a playoff run. Or worst case scenario, uh, you you just have a sturdy bet, whether he's healthy or not, to be a part of the process. And so, um, yeah, utmost respect for Danny Green. And I think any organization that has him is better off for it, whether he can play or not. I I totally I totally agree. And you know, I I, I think one way or another, he's going to be a valuable asset asset to this team. But Dave, we're about almost out of time here. Is just anything else you want to add here before we close the show? Uh, you know, just uh, I appreciate you guys doing what you do and, and taking your interest in the NBA to the next level. And, you know, I've got to know many uh, folks in many NBA markets over the years. And uh, it's been, you know, I guess it's been a, been a minute, right, since the grit and grind was, was really churning and, and oh, seeing yeah. Memphis, Memphis back up uh, there. Uh, it's always a fun experience. Also, <laughs> I love covering games in Memphis because – the PR department is excellent and old school and it still gives us seats down on the floor. So we can really see the action, hear what's going on, see what's going on. So yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope the Grizzlies go deep. Uh, I hope I'm covering a playoff game in a couple of months from now uh, at FedEx forum. And um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem. I guess, you know, uh, impromptu last question you mentioned loving coming to Memphis checking out games you have any favorite spot you like checking out I know everybody likes to come to Memphis to check out the barbecue is there a spot that you uh like to hit whenever yeah, I, I got I got a trifecta of uh food that I need to you know hit uh, the treadmill for afterwards uh usually if I'm gonna do a sit-down dinner it's rendezvous uh if usually the Lakers broadcast crew will order Gus's fried chicken and have that at the game and then post game you know if you want to get get a drink and get a bite and, and rehash what we just saw me and the rest of the reporter crew we usually go I think it's called it's right on the corner of Beale Street um further away from FedEx Forum I, 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 maybe maybe Beale Street barbecue or something like very basic like that like a very to the point name okay. uh but that spot it's always open late uh and I enjoy it as well so yeah those are those are the places I go to. Um, and uh, yeah, Memphis is a good time. Memphis is, I, I like, 
a walking NBA city. Uh, I don't like to deal with Ubers and stuff like that. I like to get to my hotel, be able to walk to the arena and then, you know, walk home at night and, and kind of just uh, think about the game I just covered, ruminate on it a little bit. And Memphis is great for that. Oh, yeah. No, it's I mean, I'm biased. I've lived in Memphis my entire life, but, you know, I love it. I, I It's uh, definitely a fun place to be. And it's even better covering a team that we have with the Memphis Grizzlies. So, Dave, again, I appreciate having you on. Is there anything you want to plug in before we close the show? Yeah, just be uh, checking out every Thursday my YouTube show uh, called That's OD. Om Young Masuk and I kind of talk about the NBA from LA perspective. I'm spending most of my time covering the Lakers. I'm spending most of his time covering the Clippers, but uh, we bounce around the league a bit. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, ESPN.com, uh, you'll get your, your daily fix of Lakers uh, news perspective, sometimes drama. <laughs> uh, but uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, give me the opportunity for the plug and yeah, we'll so hopefully we, uh, we meet, at one of these barbecue joints a couple months from now. Hey, I'm I'm always down. I'm down for that for sure. Make sure y'all check out Dave and all the NBA coverage over at ESPN. They really do a tremendous job. You can find him on Twitter at MC10 covering the NBA and specifically the Los Angeles Lakers. And Dave will be at the Grizzlies and Lakers game on third or on Friday night. And so, yeah, check out his stuff over at ESPN. You can find me and all my GBB stuff over on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. And make sure you are liking and subscribing and downloading every single episode on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you check out all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. Follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And we will see you next week.